Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Modelo, a proud sponsor of the Raiders and the official beer of fans with the fighting spirit. It's the JT The Brick Show. 39-yard field goal for Carlson, set up on the right hash. Good snap, solid hold. Field goal is up, and that is good. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Crowd into it. Wilson lifts the right leg, gets the ball. They bring the blitz off the edge, and they get to him. Nate Hobbs coming around the left side. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Open Adams at the 35, racing to the 20, 10, touchdown Raiders! And now, here's JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. JT in studio today. Jarrett was kind enough to come in. Bobby's out today, so we did some studio work today. We're welcoming in some proud partners, and it's the calm before the storm as we are leading off here to the start of our coverage of the 2023 season. The long summer is coming to an end. Not for me. I treat living in Vegas, Jared, like the summer. I treat that the reason why I moved to Las Vegas in 1996, and it's hard in the summer. That's why I try to leave, went to Maui uh, before the fires and all that, because I love it because I feel like I'm living in the summer year-round in December, January, February. So when it is the summer and it's coming to an end in August, it really isn't the end of the summer. It's kind of a year-round thing around here. Absolutely. And the biggest thing that um, I loved was shorts year-round, which yes. now I have figured out that it does actually get cold, but cold <laughs> is 60 degrees. Yes. Um, and no tornadoes. No. It, it, the Where weather. I'm from, tornadoes. Well, I try to I try to take the high road on the weather because I'm not I've been known to be a pain in the neck mocking the how people are horrified by the weather and this yep. was probably in my world the most overrated storm number one all time. Now I was in L.A. when it was coming. We were in L.A. from Wednesday to Saturday. We landed at about one in the morning with the Raiders coming back and it was raining hard when we landed. Not hard, but it was raining. Got to the team facility. It was raining good. But not, like, blowing 30 miles an hour yeah. like it was going to be a storm here. And then I never saw a cloud again in Summerland. I didn't even see a patch of clouds. And they were telling me a hurricane was on the way here. Like, all the models had this tropical storm coming through San Diego, through L.A., coming right to Vegas. I never saw any of it. The only one I saw was worst-case scenario, mm -hmm. which, I mean, even our worst-case scenario, by the time it gets that far inland, it's, yeah. it's not— it's not anywhere near me walking to school one day in Missouri <laughs> and seeing a telephone pole through a house and going, "Yeah, that's why that's are we going to school? <laughs> why, why are they letting us walk to school? I went to college in upstate New York. The sun never came out. The sun oh, yeah. never came out. It was gray the entire four years I went to college. It was one of, we had a thing called 70-degree keg. The first time it ever became 70 degrees, we had a massive party. Keg party. Massive, like a toga party, because we were just waiting for all that. But the weather, if, look, if you did have a little flooding at the link, it will always flood at the link. Right there at the garages behind the Flamingo. There'll always be a little bit of flooding there, but it wasn't as bad as it could be. It's been bad for some people in L.A. And obviously, not to make light of it, what happened in Maui, the president's over in Maui now. Uh, the Raiders are doing an unbelievable job. You saw the players warm up with their Maui shirts on from the Ninth Island. You can buy those shirts over at Raider Image. You can go to Raiders.com, and that would be your place to make a donation. I said last night on SiriusXM, I'll be hosting again tonight from 4 to 7, 
Now if there's a disaster in your community, you can go through your sports team to make a donation. It used to be, oh, the Red Cross. I got to go online and find the Red Cross. No, now you can go to the Raiders. You can go to the Golden Knights. You can go on their website, buy some apparel, make a donation there, and 100% of it goes to the proceeds of what's happening in Maui. And That's something that's evolved over the last couple decades. I absolutely love that teams are like, no, no, this is our community. Yes. The ninth like, these are our people. We, we're going to help them. Like, we, we're making billions of dollars. Let's help them and get you as a fan. You get to help them, too. And you get something with our logo that you would— Yes, you that's bought, my point. You were going to buy a shirt anyway. Why not do one that helps people, Why not too? get a Ninth Island shirt? Why not do something to help out Maui Relief through the Raiders unless you want to do something else? So my family and I made the donation right when it went down. We felt great about it, and I just share when I make a donation. And not because I'm saying, look at me, I donate. No, it has nothing to do with that. I have a radio show. Maybe I'll influence one person. One person might say, yeah, I'm going to write a check for 100 bucks. I'm going to go down to the Raider Image and buy one of these shirts and make a contribution there. It's the right thing to do, especially here in Las Vegas where there are so many people affected in Maui, so many families, the Ninth Island, so many people who are living here in Vegas that have immediate family in Maui who are going through this difficult time. It's absolutely, it's amazing. The I love the concept of the Ninth Island. Mm-hmm. And when I first moved out here, this was like, gosh, 13 or 14 yeah. years ago. I didn't know about it. Yeah. And then I went to a Hawaii UNLV football game and I was in. Yeah, I was surprised. Well, no, I was basically brought in up to speed. You know, you're, oh, no, this is season – you started at season six. I didn't get to watch season one. I I got all the spoilers. I got all the information. I got all the rivalry. And I just – I love that that's a element of this mm. community that it's like it's us in Hawaii and – We're tied the, together. Yeah. Yeah, I go there all the time. And it's really uh, – for people and my wife and I, instead of looking at another place to go or another – we just go back to Maui. And now I just want to remind everybody, you can continue to go back to Maui. The only part of Maui that's closed is Lahaina. The rest of Maui is open and they need your money. They need your money. The, the, everybody who's on the island is tied together. So please, if you get a chance to go on a quick trip, if you have the resources to do that, go to Maui on your next trip to paradise. And you're not going to see paradise in Lahaina for a long time, but your money will help the community there. All right, hour number two of the show, we're waiting on Gilbert Manzano. He'll join us from SI, SI.com, as he covers the NFL. Uh, the Raiders have one more preseason game. We'll be talking about that the rest of the show today and tomorrow. They're playing the Dallas Cowboys, which is a big deal. The, the, the rights to see the Cowboys in Dallas is massive. Jerry Jones kind of put together these individual rights for all teams in their local markets. That's Jerry's deal. That's how the Raiders have their television deal, radio deals. Jerry's the architect of all this. It's massive in Dallas. And to have an opportunity to be there again, I can't wait. When you walk through the tunnel and you come out at that building, I was at the first ever event that was there. It wasn't a football game. It was a fight. And Manny Pacquiao fought there. And on a night, I couldn't believe it. And I've been going ever since. I've been to a Super Bowl there. It really is perfect. They built one of the great stadiums there. You could say it's the best. It's as big as SoFi, but I like Dallas better than SoFi. And Allegiant Stadium's on top of it, perfect too, because it's got the Raider feel. And Dallas has the Dallas feel. SoFi does not have the Charger feel. None. None at all. But Dallas, you feel like you're at the Cowboys Stadium. You're not saying, oh, this is a stadium the Cowboys share with somebody. Not in Dallas. It's all Dallas. It's big. It's Texas, and we'll be there this weekend as we continue on. For the Raiders, I don't need to see Jimmy Garoppolo play again. If he played another series, 
I wouldn't mind. He's going to play. We don't play again for a while. There's like a mini bye week after this game on Saturday. If Garoppolo came out there and played the first drive, fine. I don't think that'll happen. I don't think Max needs to play again. If he tries to make a burst and pull something, a hammy or a calf, because he tries to want to just take someone's head off, don't need to see that. I need to see that in Denver. I need him at full strength in Denver. Uh, Josh Jacobs, will he get on the plane or not? No speculation. Adam Schefter has nothing. Ian Rappaport has nothing. Albert Breer has nothing. No one knows when he's going to report other than Josh Jacobs. So when he shows up, we'll be the first to report on it. Vinny Bonsignor, someone will have it when he's coming into the building. I would assume, I would hope it would be this week. If not, that means he's really cutting it close. Josh has known for quite some time that he can only play for $10.1 million, million. That's it. That's where the number is. Saquon Barkley knew the number. They decided to give him a little bit of a primer. I don't know exactly what was offered to Josh. We see what Jonathan Taylor's going through. This is a difficult time, and I don't know what's going to happen. But the first day he gets in there, I hope it's before the Dallas game so he can get on the plane, sleep sleep on the road, get up and have breakfast with his teammates, do some walkthroughs, get accustomed to the Raiders with Jimmy Garoppolo. I hope he does that. If not... Then it's Denver week, and he pops up, and he'll be fine too. But will he go from getting 22 carries down to 12? Sure is a possibility. And those 10 different carries, if he doesn't get it, could be the difference in the game. I don't want to see anything get in the way of the Denver victory. We're assuming the Raiders are going to beat the Denver Broncos. And if they are, I'm assuming that Josh Jacobs is going to have to play a big role with that. All right, so back from L.A. where Gilbert Manzano was there also covering the Rams. He covered the Raiders in the past and the Chargers, and now he joins us from SI.com Sports Illustrated. Gilbert, let me start with the Rams. I just saw a team that doesn't look like themselves after winning a Super Bowl a few short years ago with their contracts, shorter contracts. Tell me what you're seeing from the Rams' perspective first. Yeah, you know, a, a kind of a good spin for the Rams. There's a lot of intrigue because a lot of a lot of new faces, but the reality is it's going to be a lot of you know growing pains, bumps and bruises because it's such a young roster. And you know, for me it, at first, you know, I couldn't recognize this defensive roster the first the first depth. And you know, you, you start watching that Raiders uh, Rams game, the preseason game, and you're thinking, is this actually the, the the starting defensive roster, or are these guys trying to fight for a job? So it's so hard to tell. But a lot of those guys would be on the field with Aaron Donald. But, you know, JT, they're off to at least with the rookie class to a promising start. You know, Trey Thomas in the cornerback, you know, he was pretty feisty with Devontae Adams and the joint scrimmage there. Uh, Byron Young, uh, edge rusher, number zero. You know, he's doing some good things for Sean McVay. So, you know what, take the day off for that Raiders preseason game. So, when you have a, kind of like a – the thing about Lesney, he won't call it a rebuild. But, you know, to me, let's be real, it is a rebuild. When you have a rebuild, you know, you have guys – that are fresh kind of faces for the franchise. So that could be intriguing, but again, I'm kind of uneasy about the Rams. But again, when you have Sean McVay, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, and Stafford, that tends to at least lead you in the right direction. Gilbert, tell me what you saw with the Chargers when you've been at their camp now that they extended their quarterback, who I believe is one of the best I've ever seen. One of the best I've ever seen early in his career. And they seem to be healthy, but the Chargers are normally healthy this time of year. And then the injuries start to mount. And then they're just not together on the field too often. Is this the year with Eckler playing for a contract, a little bit motivated, pissed off, a fresh quarterback who does have the money, so he doesn't have to worry about that, and getting the receivers, and especially in the secondary, Derwin James. Tell me what you've seen from the Chargers so far. 
Yeah, JT, I like the way you kind of phrase that question because, you know, I'm very familiar with this team and you are as well from the AFC West action days or the twice a year that they mm-hmm. play the Raiders. And the, every time I look at the Chargers, I, it just reminds me of, like, let's just get on with the real football. Let's, let's fast forward training camp and preseason because the Chargers look loaded, but that's every single year. Every year we go through this hype kind of phase where, you know what, a lot of pro bowlers there. Tom Telesco drafted really well. Joey Bosa, Derwin James. Uh, Ken Allen, you know, Mike Williams, and obviously Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler. I keep going, keep going on and on with this loaded roster, but they just always find a way to either hurt themselves or, you know, no pun with the injuries because, you know, when you have that game in Las Vegas two years ago, week 18, you had an opportunity to go to the playoffs and you lose a heartbreaker in Las Vegas. Uh, last year quickly comes to mind, 27-0 in Jacksonville. That was a game all set up for you to go to the division around and be with the big boys and be with the real title contenders. Because I feel like when you're a real title contender, you at least make it annually to the, you know, the, the divisional round. Like the Bills. Like the Bills, you know, they, they were kind of getting tired of their, of their window, but we at least consider them to be legit Super Bowl contenders because they make it that far. With the Chargers, they haven't got that far. But they have that roster. And, yeah, like you said, you know, that, that Justin Herbert contract sets up the Chargers, you know, for like, you know, multiple Super Bowl windows, but it's not going to be Justin Herbert and the same crew. This crew, this core group, like it's now or never because Khalil Mack, what could happen with Khalil Mack next year? King Allen's a year older. What could happen next year? Austin Eckler's trying to get paid. It might not happen with the Chargers. So you want that same core group. And also, by the way, Brandon Staley could be on the hot seat. Uh, GM mm-hmm. Tom he's been there a long time. So Justin Hurd will be the same face for the franchise, but the rest of the guys, it, it really feels like now or never. SI.com, Dilbert Manzano, good friend of the show. Great to catch up with him again. Was it an overreaction? To see the play of DTR, the backup quarterback for Cleveland. I watched him play high school here in Vegas at Bishop Gorman, then at UCLA, all those rushing records here. It's a pretty good fit if Deshaun Watson gets nicked up, and you're gonna they're always gonna have to stay with Deshaun Watson, owed more than two hundred million. But I like DTR and the fact that he's a gunslinger. He reminds me of a taller, stronger, much younger Lamar Jackson when he came into the league, but Lamar had a Heisman trophy and was a better quarterback and turned out to be an MVP. Yeah, you know, with DTR, you know, you know, I know him just as well as UJT from those Las Vegas days. I feel like he's been, I've been following his career for a long time at Bishop Gorman, yeah. and then he had the five years at UCLA. But even at UCLA, it was so rocky. Like, you wanted more for DTR. He was so hyped going into that UCLA class. And, you know, it just kind of felt like, okay, you know, this might be the ceiling here. And I was just surprised, JT, with how, how fast he's doing or how well he's doing. And I know it's preseason. But you can see the improvements from college to the NFL. Like, you know, obviously the poise is going to be there because he was, a, you know, I think a five-year start at UCLA. He has plenty of experience. But I think even the the the, the, the passing, the mechanics, you know, you know, mm-hmm. accuracy and just I think overall when you're that poised, it does help out to kind of keep you at a calm pace and just kind of play your game. And then I mean, being so versatile when you're a runner, that helps out too. So I know last year or, or this year for this draft class, we're, we're all kind of looking for that next Brock Purdy for the 49ers because – that you can't figure out what's going on with Brock Purdy. How do you do so well as a rookie? People start pointing, well, he played a lot at, at Iowa State. He was, you know, three, four-year starter at Iowa State. Well, that's kind of the same thing with DTR. So I think sometimes if you play a lot, and on the flip side of the 49ers, like Trey Lance didn't get that many repetitions in college. Like, that that could hurt you. But then again, these guys at like DTR, like, you know, they're going to be ready to go. But how high is that ceiling? Will they ever eventually reach, like, a Lamar Jackson status? Or will it be kind of like, you know, the Kirk Cousins kind of middle, middle tier? So that's always kind of the tricky part. But if you want a guy to go and, and at least to be a backup, like that that's really th- helps you out in the back of your mind in case something happens with Deshaun Watson. 
Gilbert Manzano, I saw as we wrap it up. How good does Will Anderson Jr. look for the Texans? I saw a couple of highlights, man. He looked like he was shot out of a cannon making plays. Yeah, you know, before, you know, this week two of preseason, I kept wondering, uh, what's going on with Will Anderson? Because, you know, the Texans don't get, don't get a lot of love in the, in the national mm-hmm. spotlight. But I think that trade that Houston uh, executed with, with Arizona, it's a lot of pressure on Will Anderson, even on, you know, as well as T.J. Stroud, like, like, you want to get down to the technical aspect. It was for Will Anderson, but it was more for C.J. Stroud. But regardless, it's going to be a lot of pressure. Like like the franchise said, you know what, Caleb Williams and Drake May, those guys, or, or even Marvin Harrison Jr., those guys could wait because we believe in you guys, Will Anderson and C.J. Stroud. So it's a lot of pressure to give up your first-round picks. And everybody's counting on Arizona to have two high picks with the Houston, extra, the, the extra round, first round of there. So, you know, that game, you know, it's, it's preseason. But to be making an impact play, like, like sometimes it's not that hard. If you're just popping out on film, you're doing tackles for loss, you're, you're blowing up the gap, and you're, and you're getting in the face of the quarterback, that shows you're a true game record. Like I was watching you know, Max Crosby in the joint practice with the Rams, and he just stood out right away because he's a superstar. So that's the kind of level that Will Anderson needs to get to when, when a team traded a first-round pick, a future first-round pick with a loaded draft class. That says a lot about you as a player, so now it's time to deliver. And I, I think so far he's off to a fast start. And he, it also helps you have Nico Ryan as his, uh, as his head coach. And lastly, why won't Todd Bowles just name Baker Mayfield the starter? I mean, like this guy Baker Mayfield, every the, the adversity that he's had to go through, he's matured. There's no more maturity issues. Tampa's only shot is not Trask. It's Mayfield playing great, getting passionate, leading vocally throwing big touchdowns. It's a couple of very good offensive playmakers he has on that team. Why is Todd Bowles making him wait so long? Or is he, is he just, I think, playing the game with the media, knowing that he's going to go with Baker Mayfield as the starter? Yeah, you know, the, the only thing I can kind of pinpoint is just to keep that kind of competitive edge. Like when you give somebody mm-hmm. the job and you kind of ease up a bit and you don't want him to lose that. But again, like if you're a true NFL starter, you're, you're ready every day. You should not be worried about somebody getting complacent. So it could be also, too, you know, you know games with the media. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, the two sides would like to kind of go back and forth. And it's kind of like, hey, we're, we're going to be annoying for no reason here and not name them because we don't have to. It's like kind of injuries, too. Like when a head coach doesn't want to give you an injury, there's no injury report. That's fair game this time this time of year. So it could be stuff like that. But, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm very curious to see what, what Baker Mayfield does with the Buccaneers because – I think, like, even to me, to, to, to myself, I'm going to put myself in this group. I'm quickly counting out the Buccaneers because I have no Tom Brady. But the mm-hmm. more you look at this roster and how, how many veterans are on there, uh, with Mike Evans and guys like Levante David coming back and, uh, you know, Carlton Davis and uh, Jamil Dean, the cornerback. So they have a lot of veterans who won a Super Bowl. That, I think that, that bodes well. Now, I think with Baker Mayfield, it's kind of like that, you know, that rocky experience I was trying to kind of lay down with DTR, like, you know, his highs are pretty good, but when his lows are, are they're pretty rocky. And the one thing I did notice about ba- ba- Baker Mayfield with the Rams that the, those five games he had a year ago, you, you could tell like he's just kind of ignoring the outside noise. He doesn't care about being like you know the superstar guy on the commercials, and he just wants to be a good teammate. And and for my the the month that I had with, with Baker Mayfield, you know he was great to talk to, and every teammate it was on the Rams said good things about him. So I think he's a different person from those Cleveland days. So if he's just kind of a steady quarterback, you know, like a Jimmy G, uh, and, and he, when, it, when he's playing well, when he's on fire, he does pretty well. So uh, I think maybe they could surprise some people in the NFC South. But then again, I kind of lean towards like, okay, it's kind of the after Tom Brady days, and that could be maybe a little rough for them too. 
Finally, I think you and your teammates who do a great job, Monday Morning Quarterback, SI.com, got to figure out what this Jonathan Taylor trade could look like as the Colts granted him permission to seek a trade. He's only making $4.3 million in base salary, Gilbert. You know he doesn't care about the four point three. He wants a long-term deal. So the team that has to trade for him has to bring him in and say, we're going to rip up that paper and we're going to give you next year a long-term deal, well over $10 million. He deserves to be number one or number two, along with Josh Jacobs or what we're going to see, depending on what happens with the Giants this year and what they get out of Saquon Barkley. But I don't know if it's the Dolphins. Some team should be able to trade easily a number one pick, not a top 10 pick, something in the 12 to 20 pick, and then bring them in and pay them and now you got a top running back in the league. If you got a good quarterback, if you got some other good players, you can fast forward yourself to the playoffs and the Super Bowl. I'd make a trade for this guy. I think he's that good. Yeah, I, th- I think the tough part, JT, with that is like not knowing what your first round pick could be. Like, you know, say you mm-hmm. maybe you have a good feeling you're gonna be a good team, but maybe it goes really south and then you're giving up, you know, a top ten pick for for a running back. But then again, we saw B. John Robinson going number mm-hmm. eight and, and, and Jameer Gibbs going, I think, number twelve. So it's kind of a shift in the trend here for running backs that he's being drafted high. So if you want to give a first round pick for a premier running back who's still very young, I think I saw 24 years old. Like he's been he's been in the league for a while, so that's still pretty young for a running back. So and he's a, he's an accomplished running back. The only thing with Jonathan Taylor, you know, it wasn't the best year last year. He won the rushing title in 2021, and obviously last year was Josh Jacobs. But it was kind of a rocky, you know, year. But then again, it was kind of a, it was an overall mess of the Colts and the coaching change and things like that. So maybe it's not his fault. But a career sample size, he's one of the best. But the thing that I, I go to is that Christian McCaffrey trade. The 49ers, you know, didn't have to give up a first-round pick. And are you saying, you know, Taylor and McCaffrey are on the same level? I think I think, I think think McCaffrey does much more for you. He is older, and that contract was pretty hefty, too, the $17 million per year. So the thing I'm most intrigued about is, like, you know, do you have to give him a contract, or would Taylor be, like, be okay with, you know, what, just go in, with the season and we don't need the contract. I just want to change the scenery. I'm tired of Jim Irsay, things like that. So, you know, I think the commanders would be a good team, JT. Like, you know, I know Sam Howell is not a ready quarterback, but he could help out a young quarterback like Sam Howell. He could have helped out Anthony Richardson. That, and that's going to be his loss there if they do trade him. But this team is ready to go with Terry McLaurin, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Monte Sweat, Chase Young, uh, you know, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. What a great defense. And you have Ron Rivera with all the pressure on him to, del- to deliver with a new ownership, why not just say go in and do it? But then again, the ownership, I kind of have to say with that too. Good to talk to you, my friend. I'm always keeping an eye on you. You are climbing the ladder every year. You do bigger things, and I'm really happy for you. I look forward to having you on again real soon. Appreciate you. Thank you, JT. I appreciate the time as always, and I appreciate the kind words. Always. Gilbert Manzano joining us here on Raider Nation Radio. Henderson in the Little League World Series just gave up a pass ball on a strike right down the middle. Two-out strike right down the middle, and the catcher for Henderson doesn't catch the ball. The strike right down the middle of the plate, and the catcher whiffed on it, got by him, run scored, 2 nothing. Wow. Just they would have got out of the inning. It would have been a one nothing game. Feel bad for that catcher, man. He just he whiffed on a ball that was thrown right to him. You don't see that too often. So, Gilbert, as we went around the league, uh, Baker Mayfield looks today like he will be the starter for Tampa Bay, which is the right thing to do. So the Raiders are underway at practice over at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. I just saw this from Deshaun Reed nine minutes ago. I don't see at practice. Here the, the following players not at practice today for the Raiders. Britton Brown, wide receiver Chris Lacey, guard Dylan Parham, 
Defensive end Chandler Jones. Defensive tackle Bilal Nichols. Defensive tackle Byron Young. Defensive end Isaac Rochelle. Linebacker Darian Butler. Cornerback Jacorian Bennett. And cornerback Nate Hobbs. All right. Those are a lot of guys missing practice uh, for whatever reason it is. A couple of the players who didn't go, we didn't see Chandler Jones make the trip to Los Angeles there. Jacorian Bennett didn't play in the game. Also from Deshaun Reed, he says wide receiver Hunter Renfro is practicing in a red jersey. He's been nursing a shoulder injury. And one more from Deshaun Reed, Brandon Faison is practicing in a red jersey. He'd been out since getting hurt on the first day in pads. So Faison is coming back here. Uh, we'll see more from what's happening. I, I think Q's going to be doing the show after being down at practice, so Q will have a better understanding about who's available and who's not available. 702-365-9200. That's an interesting list. So as we look at the many guys who aren't at practice today, I'm not going to say it's alarming. Some guys could have a rest after what happened in L.A. Don't know. Some guys could be just nicked up. But we are talking, if you're joining us late, on who needs to play one more series. Who needs to play one more quarter? Who are you looking to see go out there one more time in Dallas? 702-365-9200. That's our number. You can get right through and give us a particular player that you believe needs to step up and play as we continue. We're brought to you by Meet Up Vegas. If you're looking for the meat hookup like I get every month, I get a box of meat delivered to my house every month, and it's better every month than it was the month before. MeetupVegas.com. Use code word JTBrick at checkout. Rippin looking right, looking right, and he's brought down and sacked. Brought down and sacked on a big play by Adam Plant, the Bishop Gorman High School UNLV football player standout here, trying to make a name for himself here, a nine-yard loss on the play. Big play for the Raiders, explosive play. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Grimaldi's Pizzeria, home of the famous New York-style coal-fired brick oven pizza. Charlie Daniels here, Jared. One of the first concerts I've ever seen. The second concert I ever saw in my life. The Devil Went Down to Georgia. First show was Aerosmith. But at the the same venue I saw. Aerosmith at the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum. And then weeks later I saw Charlie Daniels. And it was the first Southern Rock show I've ever seen live. This is in New York. And you would have thought it was in Tennessee. Everyone in New York, blue jeans, cowboy hats on. Devil went down to Georgia. Unbelievable. Nevada is now down 2-1. They got something rolling here. Runner on second, two outs. One of their big boys are up. I don't know how big this kid is for Nevada, but he is a big boy. Big boy up there. Maybe he can put the ball in play. Hopefully we uh, get another score here. They are playing Tennessee. Uh, the Henderson team is down 2-1. to one. And we were in the bottom of the fifth inning in the Little League World Series as we continue. So a couple of things I want to get to. Brandon Cristal is scheduled to join us from KOA. I love Facebook because on my phone I can see where I was on this day. So 10 years ago on this day, 10 years ago today, I was in Oakland for my book signing for my book, The Handoff. I was 10 years ago today. And then uh, when you take a look at uh, – that was 10 years ago today. And then I'm looking at – Eight years ago today, uh, excuse me, nine years ago today, my sons were in the press box with Snoop Dogg at a Bishop Gorman High School game. Eight years ago today, I was on the sidelines in Minnesota at Gopher Stadium 
in a rain delay. I'll never forget that game. The Raiders played the Vikings outside as they were building their new stadium. I was working the game with a gal by the name of Nicole Zalumis, and there was a lightning delay. And we had to do 30 minutes live in the tunnel during a lightning delay. That was tough. Four years ago today, I was with the Raiders in Winnipeg as the Raiders ended up winning that game, and the Raiders won the game in Winnipeg, and they played on an 80-yard field. Everybody remember that game? That was with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, we were trying to sign, and he was signed, and he came in before the debacle with his frozen feet. Four years ago tonight, I was in Winnipeg. The Raiders played on an 80-yard field. It's amazing. I would not, never knew this if Facebook didn't exist, and it brought the memories of the day. That was here along with reminding me whose birthdays there are today. So good to know. That's weird. I can go back 10, 9, 8, and 4 years ago, and that Winnipeg story was wild because we won the game. We got on the plane, and a compliment to Antonio Brown. He signed autographs in the airport for all the workers at the airport for an hour. We all just waited to get through TSA. It was a weird night, crazy night, and Antonio Brown, at that point, I thought he was going to be a great Raider. He's behaved. He's there on the sideline talking to kids, and then he went bat-blank crazy in the next, like, 48 hours and started blanking everyone on the Raiders, and he was gone. I had to get rid of him. I'll never forget that. Crazy. John Gruden thought he would be great. He really was going to be great. He had a lot left in the tank. That's before Antonio Brown won the Super Bowl with Tampa. He was a good player still when he came to the Raiders, but he mentally was breaking down. Mentally, he was deteriorating really quick in that window there with the silver and black. Uh, Henderson does not score after that. That's 2-1 as they're going to go to the sixth inning there at the Little League World Series. Uh, Big Al in San Francisco. Always appreciate your call. Go ahead. JT, we got like Vegas weather here. It's nice. Crazy. Yeah, it's like it's, the, the temperature is like, it's, they say 73, but it's like 95 in my neighborhood. I mean, it's roasting. Oh. Nobody's nobody's wearing anything like, you know. Yeah, so you're saying you live on the Marina Green there. You could see to the left the Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge to the right, the beautiful beach in front of you, and it feels like a summer day. Oh, it feels like a major summer day. We don't wow. get too many of these. That's why I'm so excited. Fantastic. All right, so yep. what, do you, what do you think of Raiders preseason so far? Oh, I mean, so far so good. They're playing better. and They seem to be more talented, I think, than most of us thought coming in. I mean, granted, we're, we've only seen two games, and we've seen a lot of the guys who are mm. fighting for special teams and, you know, and uh, third-tier spots, but they're playing hard, and that's what you want to see in preseason. That's what usually preseason players do. But they're playing hard, and they're getting some good, they're getting some good production, and you can see that they're, that they're well-coached. There's not. There doesn't appear you know, to the naked eye, and I follow the game pretty closely. Uh, it doesn't appear to be a plethora of mistakes. They're, they seem to be very fundamentally sound, and we don't say that about you know very often about the Raiders over the course of their history. Uh, so it's kind of an it's kind of exciting for me. I mean, I'm look, I'm looking forward to watching the game you know this coming weekend because I will be able to watch it. I uh, did not hit NFL Network here. Uh, Yo, Big Al, what's going on in the Bay Area with the Raider coverage? I can do a whole show on this because we got a lot of our streaming audience. We see the numbers there. What the hell is going on with Raiders coverage in San Francisco, Oakland, the entire Bay Area? Yeah, there's some kind of crazy contract thing between KRON, which wasn't independent but now is uh, under the guise, uh, auspices, I think, of Nexstar. Mm-hmm. And uh, KRON was uh, like a, a major television station here for many years. And that's kind of all changed. That changed mm-hmm. around about 20 years ago, went independent. 
And now, uh, because of whatever this issue is, we can't get certain programming. So whenever I try to watch the Raiders, I got to either find a way to stream it or wait till it hits the NFL Network or yeah. find it any other elusive way. I'm going to have to get, uh, you know, I want to watch every Raider game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go get YouTube TV uh, just to have that opportunity where before there were yeah. other ways to be able to do it in the Bay Area because they were a Bay Area team. That's not going to be the case this year. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Yeah, YouTube TV, the two new things I've done in the last 24 hours. I test drove this morning a Tesla. Never did that. So I got up today looking for something. I test drove a Tesla, which I've never driven before. That's interesting. It's like a golf cart. You take your foot off the gas and the car starts. Usually you take your foot off the gas and then you press the brake. No, you take your foot off the gas and the car comes to a stop. It's like driving a golf cart, which I do often. And my wife uh, is pulling the trigger this weekend. We are out of DirecTV. We are full YouTube family. We are full. She goes, get used to it. I said, no, man, I need that. I got my HBO Max, yes. To keep my apps going, but I am getting out of DirecTV. I'm making the switch to YouTube. A hundred percent this entire weekend I spent training my dad on how to use <laughs> YouTube TV for the exact same reason. Well, like, uh, hey, DirecTV, you don't have this channel, and you we're not going to have our we're not going to have our football. Right. Mm, good luck. Yeah, you, well, you you made your bed. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm I'm ready for the change. We got to get a fire stick for outside for backyard brick, which I understand the fire stick. So that's all happening. I got my son, one in college, one at home. So they'll figure it out. All right, we got Brandon Cristal joining us from KOA. I didn't want to go too early because we're going to have him on the week of the Denver game against the Raiders. But I reached out to him, Brandon. Thanks for a few minutes. And what's going on with Sean Payton here? Is he good with Russell Wilson? I saw he played a lot so far. In the preseason, what should I be looking for here? I think he's good with them, JT, based on some of the things we saw against Arizona. And then we were told starters are going to play 20 to 24 snaps in game two at San Fran. Javante Williams coming up that knee injury. You and I were in the building in Vegas last year when he got hurt week four. He'd go 10 to 12. And we did see that for Javante, three, three runs, four catches, and one more incomplete pass to him. But with Russ, thought, okay, 2025, kind of same as week one. We got 22 snaps four series because they kept punting the ball but he got one drive 13 plays there was a penalty for 12 snaps officially and they felt good about the way he ran the ball including you know i mentioned the penalty that was actually his longest run but three carries for 25 yards that one was almost a read option kind of a designed run to use his athleticism and i think sean payton feels good about where russ is right now in terms of understanding what they want from him what they are asking him to do and not trying to do more than they need him to do with Williams coming back with Samaj P. Ryan with an improved O line. That's still a work in progress, but on paper improved Russ doesn't have to go out and throw 45 touchdowns and win the MVP. He might maybe if it all the stars align, but they're not asking him to do that. They're asking him to run their offense. All right. So this is important to me because he lost, he lost the weight, I would assume, to just be more mobile outside the pocket. He's one of the all-time greats I've ever seen. I've seen him live, often, including a Super Bowl. When he makes a play outside the pocket, and the pocket breaks down, and he's looking downfield, again, one of the all-time players I've ever seen. Is Sean Payton going to expect more of that this year, or will be more control inside the pocket, getting the ball out quickly? I think it's going to maybe be a little bit of both. And last year, I think Russ was reluctant to get outside of the pocket, but Sean Payton is calling plays that are designed to get outside the pocket from time to time or, or to have that option off, off a bootleg 
to extend it all the way out. We saw a really good throw to Jerry Judy that Judy just missed in, in the game against the Cardinals, and they came back and hit him on the touchdown. One of the big runs the other night, he climbed the pocket. The the seas parted like the you know the it opened like the Red Sea, and he just ran up the middle for 17 yards. You talk about him being great outside. He's also got to be very high on the list, kind of at the top, as the best sliders we've seen at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Right? Some some guys we know RG3 ran hurdles. He probably never even watched a baseball player slide except Ricky Henderson head first into second. Right? It didn't. We knew RG3 couldn't slide. But Patrick Mahomes and certainly Russell Wilson know how to slide like they're sliding into second base and popping right up. So he's done a good job of not taking hits when he's run over the years. Now he's maybe a step slower even as he is lighter. So I think that Sean is going to mix and match and at times have him climb the pocket. But instead of firing it 40 yards downfield, if there's 8, 10, 12 yards in front of you, or even if there's five or six, just go take those, slide or dive, and, and don't get hit too hard, and then let's go on to the next play. So – He's definitely lighter. You're right, 15 pounds lighter. Sean, Sean's mentioned that. When we ask Russ, he doesn't want to put a number on it. He likes to be coy. But Sean said he dropped about 15 pounds. And so I think there's an encouragement to run, but I don't know if it's an emphasis, right? They're not drawing up the offense mm-hmm. the way Jalen Hurts or maybe Anthony Richardson or certainly you know Cam Newton in, in his heyday. Brendan Cristal joins us, KOA in Denver. So you've covered a lot of camps in Denver, uh, those with Peyton Manning, Super Bowl years. What is the intensity at training camp? First time this media locally – gets to go up against a guy like Sean Payton. And there's been some sharp coaches there in the past, but the last two just got blown out and fired. What has it been like? Does it feel like it's real intense? Is it looser than you expected? Are the practices longer and more demanding? What are the players saying? The the players, I think, like the tempo of camp. The one thing we saw it in the spring with the limited amount of OTAs that we did get to watch, but with the OTAs and with the mini camp, there's a, an intensity and, a, and an in, intention, right? So their practices – it seems like every day we've been told they're going to go till about 1230 and they haven't made it much past 1220 when they started about 10 and Sean Payton. The the one thing that we've seen him do is if they're not out of the huddle quickly enough, he'll send them back to the huddle, but you've seen lots of different coaches too, JT and understand. And for maybe some of the listeners that don't, a lot of times there will be say 12 practice periods, right? And first is individual, then this, then stretch, then a little bit of nine on set, whatever it is, but they're timed eight minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and it's on o'clock somewhere. The horn buzzes. Maybe they'll say, oh, one more play because something didn't go right. But it's on a clock. Sean Payton has him on, on a script in terms of number of plays, especially in the team period, the nine on seven. So there's no clock at all anywhere except for when they're in two-minute drill, obviously, an end of game, and end of half situation. So the intensity is there even on days they're not in full pads. And it takes me back to, I guess, the early days of John Fox. <laughs> uh, but then you, all, you have the new CBA even at that point, and maybe – at times with Mike Shanahan before the end of the Mike Shanahan run even, where they thought at times his camps were camp country club. But seeing what it was last year with Nathaniel Hackett and Vic Fangio being old school but limited by the CBA, Sean is maximizing whatever he can out of his practice periods but not killing his guys by practicing them for three hours or whatever, maximizing that full window. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about uh, Javante Williams and what to expect coming off the 2021 season, not 2022 with 903 yards, four touchdowns, 203 carries. What do they look like if it takes the Denver Broncos a little bit of time to get that passing attack going to where Sean Payton will have it clicking? How much can they depend on the run game? I, I think a lot, but I think they're also going to depend on both Javante and Samaj P. Ryan to catch the ball. And then don't, mm-hmm. don't sleep on a kid named Jaleel McLaughlin undrafted out of Youngstown State, about 5'7", 
and 200 and change, but all-time leading rusher in college football, and I get Youngstown is in Division One, mm-hmm. but 8,100 yards, and maybe some of that tread on his tires is why he didn't get drafted, but, and then the size may mess him do, he will be a change of pace guy that has three touchdowns already in the preseason, two the other night, one catching, one rushing, but back to the two frontline guys, Javante well ahead of schedule, surprising everyone how far along he was in the spring, started camp, played the other day, I mentioned they threw the ball to him, he had four catches, there was a fifth one that hit his hands, the very first one, but they came right back to him, and how about this, JT, Sean Payton, his offense has never been lower than top five in passes to running backs and a lot of years i think it's somewhere seven or eight something like that they've been the number one team throwing the ball to the running back so for fantasy owners out there you may not know what you're getting from javante williams but i think both javante and we saw at times last year because he had a three touchdown game for the Bengals. so maj p ryan might both be worth having certainly in full ppr leagues but i think javante if his neil cooperate and he can you know really get back to full strength could be could you know be in line for a, a really nice year well over a thousand yards and certainly plenty of passes caught out of the backfield. Brandon Cristal, KOA in Denver as we wrap it up. The secondary, to have Frank Clark now, because there's been a lot of pass rushers there over the last four or five years that are gone. And then you have guys that are sticking around here. But the strength of this team with Patrick Sertan and Mathis and the players that they have, Simmons on the back end when healthy, the strength of this team has been the back end of the defense, the safeties and the cornerbacks. Does that remain the strength of this team other than Russell Wilson getting it back on track for a Hall of Fame career? What is the brand of the Broncos now? Is it the defensive secondary and being ball hawks? Yeah, well, there's certainly ball hawks. Justin Simmons, even last year, he missed more games than he'd ever missed in his career combined. I mean, he went three straight seasons without missing a snap. Still led the NFL or tied for the lead in, in interceptions. Pat Sertan, and I know there's plenty of Sauce Gardner fans, but Pat Sertan's considered by lots of football people as the best cover corner in the game. You mentioned Damari Mathis, who came on much stronger towards the end of his rookie year. We all remember that terrible Monday night game with the four pass interference calls in his first game. And then you throw in a mix of the veteran and Kareem Jackson in year 14. And this kid, they really like Caden Stearns in his third year. Kwan Williams, who's banged up right now, but a really good nickel corner. Isang Bassi, secondary is really good. They also like their two inside linebackers. Alex Singleton, a tackling machine, only started – I think 12 games last year and was fifth in the NFL in tackles, led the Broncos, Josie Jewell, as smart as they come. And then they replaced Draymond Jones with Zach Allen. But when you talk about the pass rushers, and you and I talked about it both on your local show in Vegas and, and just over time, I'm a, I was a little concerned until camp started. I don't know exactly what you'll get from Frank Clark game in, game out. We know how great he is in the playoffs. So if they get to the playoffs, that's a different Frank Clark you'll see. Randy Gregory's never played more than 14 games even in years where off the field has been no issue. That's been recent years. Last year only played in six. But if Randy Gregory and Frank Clark are healthy, it's a really good start. And then Jonathan Cooper's come on in year three. Nick Benito looks like he's made a big jump year one to year two. And they really like Baron Browning, another Ohio State guy like Cooper, who they took in the third round, who's coming off the pup list here soon with a leg injury maybe, you know, early in the season. But they like their pass rush. Vance Joseph said it's as good a room on the edge as he's had. So I think top to bottom, they just – like the defense, but it certainly starts when you have arguably the best safety or top five safety and arguably, you know, the one or two top corners in the league with Sertan being right there at the top of the list with Sauce. Well, I'll tell you, we'll talk before the Broncos home opener against the Raiders. It really feels like it's a make or break game for the Raiders who have won the last six out of seven against Denver. Most of the national media doesn't bring that up, and the Raiders have been getting kicked around, and I think the Raiders are better than they were last year. I know the Broncos are better because Russell Wilson's going to be better and Sean Payton's there, but that's a big game. That, that's an opener division historic rival 
where Sean Payton doesn't want to start his career off by losing to the Raiders. And after that game for the Raiders, they're the home opener for the Buffalo Bills uh, coming off the Denver game. So that game just feels like an albatross for both teams to try to get out of there with the win and get some momentum. No, you're absolutely right. Denver gets Washington in week two. So I don't know exactly what we'll see with Washington, but it certainly, you know, could be a year of turmoil transition. You know, mm-hmm. New owner, you never know with a new owner. But, yeah, you're right. That, that first game, and, and you and I have talked about it before, but to have the Raiders and Broncos play in week one and then to close out the year week 18, January 9th, I don't know if it's happened where any team's played week one and the final week of the season in the division, but certainly not that you and I can remember in, in recent memory with the Broncos and Raiders or any of the teams in the division that are week one and week 17 before and now week 18. So, yeah, I think you're right. Getting off on the right foot for Josh McDaniels in year two and certainly for Sean Payton, who's this side of Bill Belichick, the highest-paid coach in football, we think, or right at the top of the list, maybe Pete Carroll. It's going to be must-see TV on that Sunday afternoon here in Denver. Enjoy the rest of the summer. It's a beautiful time. Here in Vegas, we did not get slammed by a hurricane. So it's, we got a couple of more weeks of good weather outside in Henderson for the Raiders. And does it get any nicer than the end of August into September in Denver for outdoor practices? You're living the dream. Well, no, last week it was 71 one day. It was 84. It's 97 a day. They were off. It's going to be a little cooler. <laughs> but the Rams come to town. Sean McVay and company are here Wednesday, Thursday for joint practices before the final preseason game. So we'll get a look at what the uh, Super Bowl champs from a couple of years ago have. Could they be in the tank for Caleb Williams sweepstakes? Mm-hmm. I think that's something to keep an eye on. Brandon, thank you. Got to run. We're up against it. Brandon Cristal, KOA in Denver as the Rams are in Denver. We were just with the Rams in Los Angeles for the joint practices. Now the Rams joint practices go to Denver. Henderson, Nevada Little League just lost. They're eliminated from the Little League World Series 2-1. 2-1 in this final game. Uh, they lose to Tennessee. Tennessee with the strikeout to end the game there. And Nevada, what a run by these kids. Nice job by everybody in Henderson on this Little League team. Uh, most of the city probably paying attention to this today. And it just ends as I wrap up this interview there. High strike, way out of the strike zone. Would have been ball four. Would have easily been ball four, but as I always said, Jared, you never get on a kid who's in Little League. Never, ever, ever get on a Little League kid. And it's a shame they got eliminated. They had a pass ball that was the deciding run. It was a 1-1 game, and a ball that was right down the middle was missed by the catcher for the deciding run. That's a tough way to lose, but they made the city proud. They made Henderson proud. Jared, thank you. Thanks for coming in for Bobby today. Appreciate it. Gilbert Maranzano, who joined us, and Brandon Cristal. I'll be back again tomorrow, midweek. We'll figure out what we're going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm going to enjoy the rest of the next hour or so. Then I'm on the radio 4 to 7. Oh, the double. Q's got doubles coming up for a long time. He's going he's gonna to kill it with his doubles on ESPN Radio. Everybody should be congratulating Q on a big, big job he just got with ESPN. I'm going to knock out a double on Sirius XM 82 from 4 to 7 p.m., And I'll be back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Q's on deck.